Welcome to Night School, the podcast where I bring on experts in the fields of science, history, and all corners of academia to dissect the genre films we love, to uncover what the movies got right, what they got wrong, and where the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. I am your host, Graham Skipper, and I am very, very excited to have our guest on today. He's uh, an old pal of mine from back in old Fordham College days. Uh, and uh, he's also a different kind of expert than we've ever had before. And I think today's discussion is going to be really, really interesting. He is my friend, Reverend Micah Busey, an ordained minister of the United Church of Christ. He's minister at Judson Memorial Church in New York City and film reviewer for Spirituality and Practice. And today we're going to be talking about Pascal Logier's Martyrs. So, you know, some light, breezy fun. Uh, everybody, please welcome Micah Busey. Micah, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I'm really, really excited. And I was uh, sort of cursing your name a little bit last night as it was 11 p.m. And I was trying to uh, get in my viewing of Martyrs before today and sitting alone in my office. It's cold outside. It's very dark. And I'm going, man, I forgot how intense and horrible this movie is. Wait, it's a it's a romantic comedy, isn't it? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like, is of darkness sure it's a christmas it's a christmas film <laughs> <laughs> um you know micah i uh uh we, we've always had a, a kinship about horror films um and so i guess i wanted to start by asking you you know I, i'm sure that a lot of listeners and, and i want to say this too i guess before we start is that um you know i i, I know that a lot of folks have a uh a complex relationship with religion. And so if people are listening today that maybe are skittish because we're talking about religious stuff or, or um, talking about Christianity, things like that, you know, we're, we're not, uh, th th this isn't necessarily a religious podcast, but I want to, I think that it's a really interesting aspect of the world and of history and of philosophy uh, and certainly spirituality that I think is really complex and interesting and layered. Uh, and so that's, that's why I really want to talk about it. So don't, don't be scared away. We're not going to get all, you know, get too Jesus-y on you, but I'm sure we will talk about Jesus. Um, and um, I'm sure a lot of you might be going, what? A reverend likes horror films. Uh, so, so Micah, could you talk a little bit about your relationship with film in general and with horror films? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge that, I mean, I think to many people, organized religion is the definition of horror. Uh, so I want to get that out of the way right off the bat. I am oftentimes horrified by the history and continued history of of horrific violence that organized religion has uh, inflicted on bodies and on the world and on marginalized communities, um, particularly Christianity. Uh, and although I am ordained in the Christian tradition, A, I, I approach my, my faith much more like a curious seeker. Um, I wake up each morning um, basically agnostic and not knowing what I believe. And then I spend the rest of the day kind of trying to seek miracles throughout the day. And, and by the time I go to bed at night, I'm like, oh, I can lean into this mystery again. And, and I have some kind of hope and some kind of faith. Um, but I think that, you know, when I see how much pain um, has been inflicted on folks, from the the communities that they've grown up in uh, that purport to be of faith, um, it it still really saddens me and horrifies me. So I want to I want to really acknowledge that for anybody who's listening, and I need to continually acknowledge it for myself. Um, many people in my congregation are people who have been damaged by um, particularly Christian community um, throughout their lives. Um, and B, I will say that I've never been able to separate my love of horror from my curious faith, uh, because I think that both in my life have been invitations into leaning into mystery, leaning into fear, leaning into darkness and grief, and trying to see if there's a glimmer of hope that I can see at the end of the tunnel. And so though I, I really do have a ton of fun watching horror movies, um, there is this, this existential 
state that I enter while I'm watching it where I'm sort of like, okay, and how are we going to find hope at the end of this film? Um, I don't know, and we'll get to this in a moment, I don't know how much hope we find at the end of Martyrs. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that every time I enter a Sunday morning service or enter a pastoral conversation with a congregant, um, it really is an invitation to ask questions. I very rarely have answers. What I'm able to do is enter a place with someone and approach the very real grief, the very real fear, the very real darkness of life with them and reflect back to them my own experience and, and what I hear them sharing with me and try to accompany them through mystery because I think that life continues to be super mysterious to all of us. And I really think that that's what I'm doing and that's what all of us are doing when we enter the universe of a horror movie as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally hear you on that. And I think especially with a movie like Martyrs, which to me is sort of centered around the idea of the mystery and, and the different ways that we uh, maybe try to find out that answer. And of course, some people in this movie uh, have more nefarious means of doing that than others. Um, um, I, so, so to transition into that, uh, when I asked you if you wanted to come on and talk about the film, uh, you know, I think we discussed a few, you know, we talked about like Hellraiser and, you know, maybe The Exorcist or something. And you specifically wanted to talk about martyrs. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your proclivity in particular for this film? Well, first of all, it's because nobody else will talk to me about it. So I was like, now I've met someone. Well, not, we've known each other for a while, but you now have a podcast where I was like, I can get Graham to talk to me about martyrs. So I, <laughs> Perfect. I, I think it's because my husband won't talk to me about martyrs. He won't even watch the movie. Um, I have a, a brother-in-law who loves horror and I finally got him to watch it the other day. And even he was like a little tight-lipped, like texting me back. And I was sort of like, oh, this is gonna, next time we see each other at Christmas, I'm gonna have a lot of <laughs> um, But I, I think for me, it is because it's a film that has very, very um, viscerally like clawed its way into my soul, my brain, my heart, and won't let go. I think about it all the time. Um, I and and it's not because it's it. it I watched it a second time um, as we were preparing to, to record this and I was watching it and I was like, I do not think I am enjoying myself right now. Mm -hmm. And I thought, did I enjoy this the first time that I was watching it? It sent me down a whole, you know, rabbit hole of, of wondering what is a piece of, of art like this for. Um, and so, when I ask questions like that, um, and especially when I'm asking it in true isolation where nobody else wants to enter the conversation with me, it, it, it makes it uh, continue to rise to the top of my mind. And so it was what I wanted to talk about with you. I'm so glad. Uh, yeah, you know, I, when you brought it up, the thing that I've always felt about martyrs that I've always found interesting is that this is listed in, you know, obviously it's part of the new French extremity, but it is also considered largely to be one of the progenitors of the quote-unquote torture porn subgenre, which is a, a term that I don't particularly like. Uh, I don't I don't think that anybody, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure some people are watching these movies um, in, in a pornographic sense of, oh, I can't wait to see this horrible thing happen to this person. I think even the argument could be made that maybe Eli Roth's Hostel and Hostel Part Two, maybe those fit a little bit more into this subgenre of, of quote torture porn because it is a little bit more fun um and and the the people that all this stuff is happening to are maybe a little more unlikable um the thing about martyrs for me is that i've, I've always viewed it as a, a strangely beautiful film um i think that the torture part of it is a is a means to an end it's a necessary aspect of the greater themes that i think this movie is talking about um which are largely spiritual and, and religious which we'll get into here in a moment um but i i i certainly don't think that anybody 
watches this movie going, Ooh, yeah, I can't wait to see her get punched again. You know, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see another slice with that razor blade. It's, mm-hmm. it's not pornographic. It's, it's a, it's a necessary step in the evolution of, of these characters, particularly Anna, um, who undergoes the largest transformation here, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's, let's get into it. Um, uh, you know, th- this movie, obviously like, it, it we we begin with um uh with with uh, Lucy as a young girl she's escaping this horrible situation um she's obviously having to deal with a tremendous amount of trauma um and and I, I the whole first section of the film I think is largely about how the system kind of fails children like this and how the system fails that and I'm I'm not sure that that's necessarily the the religious doesn't really touch on the religious stuff. Um, but I guess I'm curious about the, I, I read this as kind of like, there's like an old Testament side and then almost a new Testament side. And mm-hmm. I feel like Lucy's journey in the beginning and the first half of the film, and again, spoilers, if you haven't seen martyrs, I mean, I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't. Um, but if you, if you don't want the movie spoiled for you, you should pause this and go watch it. But you know, in the first half of this film, when we see really Lucy's journey where she's first the young girl, and then she grows up and then goes and seeks her revenge. It's very much eye for an eye, you know, that's, that's very much, um, that, that, you know, revenge is this, uh, kind of noble act that she's doing. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, because I know for people that maybe aren't, um, aren't as well-versed in, in religion, especially Christianity, there's kind of a, 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 I don't know what the word is. There's like a dichotomy here between, between these old Testament and and very old ideals of, of, you know, go, you know, blood for blood versus the new Testament stuff of Jesus, like forgive everybody, turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that difference and and how does the church uh, reconcile those? Sure. And, and I think this is going to get very naughty uh, as in K N O T T Y because I think, I do think that first anyone who's listening to this, who thinks that I'm attempting to speak for all of Christianity or especially for all of the world's religions um, will, will be very sorely disappointed. Um, I, I can only speak for a very, very specific, um, faith, which is my own, um, which hovers somewhere between, you know, kind of claiming Christianity and not wanting to claim Christianity um, often. So, so you'll probably hear that continual balance as I'm speaking. Um, I appreciate uh, the, the dichotomy that you've brought up, Graham, and I want to also trouble it a little bit uh, because I think that that you know, looking at the Old Testament or, you know, what I learned in seminary to call the Hebrew Bible, so that it, it we're not sort of saying Old Testament and equating that to sort of more uh, bad uh, primal things and then new and separating that from New Testament and, and you know, that being uh, Jesus and especially nice Jesus and forgiving Jesus. Um, I think that, uh, the the dichotomy is a good one to point to because of how often it's been used by Christians who continue to perpetuate violence. Um, because I think that in in a view of the Hebrew Bible where it is an eye for an eye, where there are horrific stories, um, you know, of of violence and um, and and conquering and uh, women are often at, you know, at the the receiving end of violence. Um, I think that, yes, it would be wonderful to believe that then in the New Testament, we had this amazing prophet who came and spread an idea of forgiveness. um, and, And actually, then, you know, we all who claim to be Christian absorbed that and, and we're like, and now we're going to live like that. Um, unfortunately, then, you know, the Crusades happened and the Inquisition happened and tons of other horrific, violent things in, in the name of Christianity. Um, but I think, I think it's also helpful to look at the fact that um, the, the way that you characterize turn the other cheek, um, you know, there, there are some translators who 
who wonder if we've been looking at turn the other cheek in the right way. Because I think right now, when we hear it classically, it means if someone hits you, then you turn the other cheek and forgive them. Now, I think that grace and forgiveness are virtues that would be good to live into in a world uh, where I think eye for an eye violence just keeps us in a perpetual cycle of violence. Um, there, there's especially a theologian named Walter Wink who has pointed out that in uh, the time when, when uh, Jesus was, was preaching and, and teaching, the idea of turning the other cheek might have meant that there was an idea that if you were hit in one cheek, you would offer the other um, because it was a sign that you, you needed to be respected as well, that if that there there was a, a there's a breakdown of and, and i'm gonna bastardize this a bit because this is not a show about walter wink and and the translation of turning the other cheek but there there's questioning of whether it even actually means forgiving someone who's who's enacting violence on you or actually demanding that instead they find a new way to respect you oh. and i think that to to bring this back to the question of um of, of how martyrs represents these things, I think, you know, there's, there's a demand on Lucy's part, I think, that she really is haunted by what happened to her. And, and, you know, for the first part of the movie, she's quite literally haunted by this kind of classic, you know, kind of specter that, that is, that's attacking her. Um, and clearly she wants revenge, but I also think that she wants some kind of respect she wants to go back to a place where so much uh, of her own autonomy was taken away and she wants to to claim that autonomy again and 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 we can argue whether you know fighting violence with violence is ultimately the the most moral way and ethical way to live in the world but i see her journey as not just being eye for an eye revenge i see it as being her demanding back, um, you know, the taking taking the the the, the upper hand um, in that in that situation, and you'll hear me like I'm not making a, a judgment on any of of, of her behavior. Um, I think revenge is something very 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 complicated, um, but she clearly is past the point of being able to simply uh, offer grace to the to the people who who inflicted violence on her for so long. Yeah, I mean, she even almost tries in a way when she's got the son, you know, the 18 year old son and he's sitting there in the chair and she says, do you know, how, how old were you? You know, how old are you now? And mm -hmm. he, he answers her. And so the math, you know, says he was three when she was mm -hmm. there. And, and she says, do you know what your parents have done? And he's got a really interesting expression on his face that's sort of like, well, yeah, kinda, you know, like I, yeah, I do. And, and you can tell she's struggling with this, but everything says in order to end this cycle, he's got to go to, they all deserve this. Everybody does. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I just, I find that really interesting that there's a part of her that I think wants to offer grace and kind of wants to be, be to, to offer forgiveness and, and to be um, kind uh, but her trauma is so intense, you know, and I, and like you, I, I certainly don't judge her for what she did. I can't imagine what I would do in that scenario. Um, I also want to oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to say that I, and wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. And, and an added layer to that is that it isn't simply, um, you know, that, that if she kills them, that she'll get revenge and satisfaction. Right. But I think she also fears that, the cycle of violence is continuing. Mm -hmm. So if she gets rid of these folks who uh, who incited such violence on her, um, then then they're you know whoever else they're they're planning to be violent against uh, yeah. will uh, you know hopefully be saved from that from that violence. And I think you know there there are examples of um, I mean there are examples of martyrs throughout history who have made decisions um, to 
to actually go against their purported values of not being violent, not killing, um, but weighed it against, you know, if we do not do something about this person, then, then, then more people will, will suffer, more people will die. Um, and there are, there are amazing examples of, you know, there's a, a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was uh, executed eventually um, by the, the Nazis, but he was a Lutheran pastor and he was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. Oh. And his, his writings about this balance that he was having to strike of not thinking that it, it was within his ethics to actually kill someone, but then weighing that against, if I do kill this one person, then it, it might stop this, this cycle, um, are, are amazing theological artifacts. Yeah, I mean, that's a talk about an ethical quandary. And, you know, and obviously there's the classic example of would you go back in time and kill baby Hitler, you mm -hmm. know, um, and and that's that's especially ethically interesting from a religious perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And and especially, I think, when it comes to Christianity, because I think Christianity prides itself so much on on this idea, at least my understanding of it from having, you know, I, I grew up in the faith, you know, and so have, my understanding was always it's about peace. It's about forgiveness. It's about love. Um, and so how do you, how do you justify acts of violence within that? And I think this is a great example of, mm -hmm. of, well, you know, I, I want to, I want to stop this from happening to anybody else. And I think that Lucy also is desperately trying to atone for what she considers to be a sin of having left that other woman down there. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, and that's the specter that haunts her. And that's, it's a little unclear if that's the same woman that Anna discovers later. Um, I sort of imagine maybe it is, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I, I find that an important part of it too. Of of that, she's she's not just trying to get revenge. She's like you said, she's also trying to stop the cycle, and she really wants to atone for for having having done this unspeakable in her mind thing of leaving this woman down there mm -hmm. uh, and saving herself. Which, of course, again, completely understandable. You know, she's a child. Um, yeah, lots, lots of layers. Um, so I, I want to, I want to uh, segue in a little bit to talk more about, you know, obviously, this movie is all about suffering leading to ecstasy, and suffering leading to, in a way, kind of salvation. I'm not sure your opinion on it. Um, but obviously, Christ's suffering is like the central main thing of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk to you a little bit about and, and hear your opinion on why is that so important? Why, um, you know, what, why is the image that we see, you know, of a man being tortured supposedly the symbol of, you know, peace and love for all? Um, it, it seems like that's a very, like, it's two very uh, opposite ends there of the spectrum. So I'm curious, like, just if you could talk a little bit about about your opinion on why that is and philosophically why that like works. Yeah, it, it's funny because here is where, you know, if you haven't already heard it, here is where my own theology will will really depart from some, um, you know, especially if folks grew up in more mainstream, uh, even Protestant churches, but but especially if they grew up in, in Catholicism. Um, I I do not subscribe to a uh, what, what is called atonement theology. Um, so if if you haven't heard of atonement theology, whoever's listening, um, you know atonement theology basically at its core is saying there was a plan from the beginning of time um, that God would incarnate God's self as a human being named Jesus on earth who would come and offer himself up to be crucified so that his blood would then atone for all of our human sin and offer us salvation as long as we will accept Jesus Christ into our hearts as our as our Lord and Savior. So I've been educated in it as you can I guess tell by the fact that I can rattle it off like that. I don't I don't subscribe to it. I actually think 
first of all, it doesn't truly matter to me if that is true. Um, I think I'm not, I'm not in the business of really um, dismissing someone's theology as long as it's giving them life and, give, and, and helping them to connect with other people. And if atonement theology does that for certain people, awesome. I have just seen it really, really hurt and damage people. Okay. So I, I don't subscribe to it. The other reason that I don't is because I find it far more activating to believe that there's a human being who was a social justice artivist, an artist and an activist, an amazing rhetorician, an amazing preacher, an amazing thinker who was able to really feel a spirit moving within him so that he wanted to spread this gospel of love, of gaining respect and offering grace and forgiveness, but also demanding that there be accountability that comes along with that, uh, that grace and forgiveness. And that basically he found out during that time that he was preaching and teaching that you can't live that way when there's a Roman empire that wants to murder you or anyone who's speaking out like that. And when he found that out, he just kept doing it and he doubled down and did it more and more. And he essentially took that passion to the cross and was was basically executed in the way that the Roman Empire was executing political dissidents in that time. And of course, because Christianity has taken the cross and and created it you know, into a symbol for ourselves, it's easy to forget sometimes that like he was just he was executed like a like a common criminal back then. Okay. Um, and so for me, there the idea that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and martyred himself there so that I can actually just do the act of accepting him as my savior and, and then ending up in heaven, that doesn't leave me much to do. And so instead, I've, I like to, to you know, decide that for me, I want to use Jesus as a model for how I should pursue my own spirit-fueled, creative social justice seeking um and and honestly do it un, unto death um you know james baldwin has this amazing quotation about really like living your life so passionately that you have earned your death at the end of it and i think that that's what my favorite image of jesus does that he earns that death and and i don't want to dismiss that it was a roman empire murdered a, a poor brown-skinned you know uh, political activist um and that that's the violence of empire but also i think that jesus decided that it was worth that sacrifice but i don't know that i need to believe that that was like intended by god to atone for me as a human and to connect it to martyrs i think that for me the the biggest question i have about how the word martyr is used in the film is that and I, I love i love this kind of uh debate in my own brain and i really am interested in in what you think of it i can't tell if the filmmakers just don't totally understand the like what the term martyr is or if they totally understand it and it's the people who are you know are organizing themselves to create these quote unquote martyrs who actually have completely skewed the idea of a martyr because for me and in and i would argue in uh, in religious history a martyr is someone who actually chooses to live their life so passionately and dedicated that they then end up being martyred um in martyrs, that is not what's going on, right? Yeah. These, these folks are creating martyrs um, in order, and, and they're inflicting suffering in order to get what they want. But they are, you know, the the the, the Anna especially, um, the one who were who we are able to watch go through her entire horrific experience. She's not choosing that at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder what what you think if that's sort of a if that is part of a shortcoming of the film or if that's the shortcoming of the 
of the the organization in the film. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Last night when I was watching it, it was the first time that I thought, I wonder what the French translation of martyrs is, you know, that I wonder if there's some kind of a, 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 a something that gets lost in translation in terms of like our traditional English understanding of the word versus um, versus the French. And if I were a better podcast host, I would have looked it up, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, I, I do, however, think that your second theory is for me, something that's a bit more active and more interesting dramatically mm-hmm. that, that these people are clearly, obviously the way that they're going about this is all wrong. And they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to get the divine experience and learn about, you know, the afterlife and learn about God um, without actually having to go through it themselves. That if indeed they were going to be martyrs, you know, Mademoiselle would be the one offering herself up to go through this experience, but she's not, you know, she's a coward. She's, not really in it for the right reasons. You know, she's, uh, with all the many reasons why she might have to want to know this, uh, she is is going about it completely the wrong way. Uh, however, I will say that I think that the film sort of subtly is saying that in, in a way, you know, like Anna, Anna is choosing to, to help Lucy. Anna is certainly choosing to try to do quote the right thing by when the mother wakes up, she's trying to help her, uh, you know, whether or not that's because she really believes that Lucy went through all the things that she says she did. I think there's some doubt in her mind of maybe Lucy is just crazy. And like, this is an innocent family, but Anna stays, you know, Anna stays. And when Anna, you know, finds the, 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 that horribly emaciated, you know, tortured woman you know she she goes and helps her but she doesn't like call the police she doesn't put her in her car and drive her out she she stays there she bathes her she goes and mourns over over lucy's body lucy's body who by the way uh looks a whole lot like a saint uh in that in that shroud that she's in i want to talk about that a little bit but i think that the film is kind of saying that in a way you know and and maybe this is kind of a fate thing that they're touching on but in a way that anna is is choosing this. She she chooses to go down into that horrible basement. Mm-hmm. She chooses to stay. She chooses not to abandon. She could have not driven there at all and not gone and helped Lucy, but she did ultimately because she's a good person. And I think she's really trying to do the right thing. So I think the film's kind of saying uh, in, in its own way that, that Anna does kind of choose this. Obviously then she's taken by these horrible people and, you know, submitted to all this horrible stuff that she certainly didn't choose. Um, but but then what I'll say, too, is that she handles everything that happens to her with incredible grace. We don't see her, like, screaming obscenities at the guy when he walks in. You know, right. we don't see her. Uh, she does fight back, but, but she also doesn't... Um, you know, when the lady's helping her, you know, is bathing her, she's grabbing her hand in a, you know, in, in a kind of kind gesture. She, all these things, after all this horrible stuff that she's going through, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost like a transcendental thing that she's gone into. And I guess that's kind of the, the point that, that, these, that these horrible people are trying to make is, well, this is what happens when you undergo all this suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's interesting that Anna is, is greeting all of this with all this grace, whereas Lucy had a very different reaction. You know, Lucy ran, Lucy came back, Lucy shot all those motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what all that means, but I, I, I think that in terms of like martyrdom, like what you're talking about, of people that undergo something horrendous because they choose to and because it's the right thing, um, I would argue that in a way, Anna does that. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna, Anna makes a whole lot of choices to go and insert herself into this situation to try to help and mm-hmm. to try to do the right thing. And, and it, it gets her in this bad, this horrible situation, but, but she does make some choices. That's true. I mean, I can follow you down that road. Absolutely. Yeah, or, I would, or down that ladder. As that, that, oh, that, oh, that ladder. When she, that moment when she drops the ladder down, uh-huh. like, I'm going to climb down this ladder. It's just. It's, it's one of the bravest things I've ever seen a character do in a horror film. Mm-hmm. The Absolutely. bravery that it takes to go down that ladder. Mm-hmm. Because, again, 
at this point, Anna's going, I know what Lucy went through. Now I understand. She was telling the truth. Yeah. Somebody else might be down here and I've got to, I've got to help her. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the French translation of martyrs is. Uh, but, but I do think that it's an interesting idea that the, that the people are bastardizing it and twisting it to, to say, to, to try to make a, they're trying to Frankenstein a martyr for the, for their own pleasure. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate the way that you framed it. I think it's ultimately just more interesting, right? As us as viewers, if I just, if I just watch the film and, and I'm sort of like, oh, these folks don't even know what a martyr is. And, and I'm, I'm an expert because I, I learned about Christianity. Um, then, then it gives me nowhere to go. If I, if I actually enter it the way that you did, um, that it's far more interesting to wonder, like, how have these, you know, very, very powerful and very, very rich, it seems, um, how, how have they all skewed them, their own thinking into um, redefining for themselves what, what a martyr is? Um, it gives us more to do as, as viewers. Um, and I think that, you know, so, so the word martyr, uh, is is originally comes from the the greek word for witness right so if so if we're just going with that translation that is what what these folks are seeking they want to have a witness to what is on the other side without them actually having to do anything yeah. to to look yeah. um and and i do think that that is um you know the essentially we're in this world where the the folks who gather at the end who you know i assume have been kind of funding this project mm -hmm. um and are so excited for mademoiselle to reveal you know what this this new martyr who's finally seen what's on the other side and told her what it is um you know they they all have basically gotten to a place where they they believe that they're deserving of knowing the answers to the questions and understanding mystery without having done any of the actual work of mm -hmm. being the kind of person who would have some of those answers revealed to them, would be able to get to the other side and see what's there because of the way that they've lived during their life on earth. And I think for me, that, that goes back to what you were saying about Anna, that like whether or not Anna gets chained and she does if you haven't seen the movie whether or not anna is getting you know she 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 eventually gets to a place where she does not have autonomy because she has she she's literally chained in a room and cannot escape the choices that you're pointing out that she's made leading up to that that part reveal that she is the type of person with the ethics that would get her to the place that these others so desperately want to get to, which would be living a caring, compassionate, ethical life. Um, and, and, and it is the question that you're left with at the end, you know, especially as during the credits, you get to see the, these kind of film, the, this, this film of, of the girls. And, um, you know, it, I, I, I'm left to wonder, you know, would I, am I an Anna? Um, would I be an Anna in any of the steps of this film? Um, or am I the type of person who really does want to see what the mystery is on the other side without doing any of the work to get there? And I, I of course, I would like to believe I'm not the kind of person that would fund a project like it, like what's funded <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that there's lots of layers to, you know, find analogies uh, between this, this, you know, very extreme thing that these wealthy people are doing to the little choices that we make every day um, to, to really, you know, as, as Iris Dement says in her song, like, not just let the mystery be. Like, why, why wouldn't you just let the mystery be? And if the, if the search for the answers to the mystery are just inviting you into deeper connection with other people, keeping you open to being transformed, um, 
then I, I, I don't know what we're actually here to do on earth. Um, and, and I think that ultimately money and, and status and all of these things uh, that we kind of know in our hearts obscure uh, an ethical life. I think, I think even though we can look at it theoretically and know that, um, these things are insidious and they really, they really dig their way into our hearts um, in, in huge, but also very, very tiny, minuscule ways. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be able to cut a check and send it off and say, all right, I feel like a good person. Now mm -hmm. I'm going to go, you know, hang out on my yacht and, you know, not actually do any of the work versus saying, all right, I'm going to go build a house for somebody. I'm going to go actually do do the work itself. And, and yeah, I think I think the the people, the organization, whatever it is that is doing this is obviously they're trying to write a check. And this is, I guess, a question I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it, but I I almost don't even really know what it is they want. You know, it's it, it's it feels like they want proof that there's an afterlife, that mm -hmm. they want proof that there's a God. And that this is a way for them to know that without actually having to die. But on the other hand, it sort of makes me go, well, what answer do they want? Because I feel like if you suddenly know there's a God, isn't everything you're doing really counter to, to all of the spirituality that you've learned up until mm -hmm. this point? And, you, you know, and, and, and what I, I just don't quite what do you think they, they want out of this? I think that's that's a such a good question. B, I have no answer. But C, this this like helps me to dissect that that sort of final moment with Mademoiselle. Um, uh -huh. And and I'm really curious as to to what you think here because, you know, so I've I've seen this movie twice, um, and the and it's haunted me ever since the first time I saw it, and then now. I, I've barely gotten through my week from watching <laughs> the second time. But I would say uh, I, I kind of go back and forth between when, when Mademoiselle uh, is talking to Etienne, when, when Etienne is at the, at the door and kind of, yep. I think he's starting to worry, like, why is she taking so long in there? What's going on? Is she okay? And she says, um, and I'm not quoting word for word, but, but she, you know, there, that basically there, there's an exchange about like whether he knows what comes after word or not. Um, and she, and by this time she's talked with Anna, right? And so they, she's about to come downstairs, they think and tell everybody what, um, what, what Anna has told her about the other side. And, and when, and, and when he gives her an answer about not knowing, she says, keep doubting before yeah. she she kills herself and on one hand i think she means keep doubting meaning stop looking for it mm -hmm. and on the other hand i wonder if she means keep doubting as in there's nothing over there so do you, do you see the the difference that i'm drawing here like i, there, I do and and i i just it and, and I love it, right? I love the liminal space there that it leaves me where it's like, we never find out what actually Anna has whispered to her um, or you know what, how it's then translated into her own mind. And so I, I, I would say that the, for me, the, the thesis of this film, the takeaway of this film, at least for me, but I would hope for, for most people should be let the mystery be. Don't worry about getting to the destination before you've done the work. A, because that keeps you from actually transforming. And, and B, it, 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 it ends up having you harm yourself and others along the way. Um, so I'm curious, are, are those the two kind of things that go through your mind when you when you hear her say, keep doubting? Uh, definitely. You know, for me, I, when I, when we see the kind of transfiguration that Anna goes through, we see what she sees, right? This beautiful light, uh, this sort of celestial being or whatever it is that she sees. It's clear that the movie is telling us there's something there. She sees it. This worked. And 
And then there's this really incredible moment where Mademoiselle, you know, says, what do you see? And, and she whispers, we don't hear what she whispers. Um, but the expression on Mademoiselle's face is, is really incredible because she's listening with such rapt attention. This is, you know, Mademoiselle for as evil a person as she is, this is clearly her life's work. You know, this is everything. She's given everything of herself to this. And this is the moment when it's all coming together for her. And Anna, skinned alive on the brink of death, completely stripped of all of her agency, is able to take everyone's agency back and is able to then, in my opinion, lie to Mademoiselle mm. and tell her there's nothing there. Mm. It was all for nothing. Mm -hmm. I think she lies. I think that it's a final, the final way to really punish her. And then I think Mademoiselle, knowing what she's given her life to and no, and, and in her opinion, now it's for nothing. Mm -hmm. That's why she kills herself. Mm. Um, I take it a step further. And if we're talking about this in terms of like a more classical spirituality, I, I, and even maybe not classical, I, I have always sort of, uh, the, the concept of hell is a really interesting one to me. And we actually have another episode of this show where we're going to be talking about hell a lot uh, with a hell scholar. It's going to be very exciting. Um, but I've always sort of subscribed to the belief of like, that the concept of hell is more interesting to me if it's a hell of our own creation. You know, I don't think that there's a fiery place with a bunch of pitchforks and, you know, that that's a hell. But I think, you know, that let's say if we do die and if, and if somehow our consciousness, all, all of our electrons go into some other place and, you know, whatever it is that happens, um, I, I can understand the philosophical idea behind really horrible people sort of in hindsight, understanding how horrible they were and creating a, a, a eternity of torment for themselves. And so I sort of take it a step further. And I think that the ultimate, uh, kind of punchline for lack of a better word of this whole thing is that mademoiselle you know she hears this lie she's devastated she can't even face her congregation she can't even go out there and mm. she kills herself thinking well it's just all going to be over anyway but maybe it's not over for her mm -hmm. you know mm. i really love that actually um and i also love the fact that you have have uh, characterized it as Mademoiselle going back to talk with her congregation, because I think ultimately what's going on here is that you have it's a church, you have a you have a, a spiritual leader spreading a false gospel to uh, to to a, a congregation of of uh, eager listeners who who again you know as we've as we've said um, want to get something without doing any of the work. Um, but I, I, I really love the idea that Anna has lied to her to, to take back the power. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure that I've, I've actually so clearly uh, thought about that on my own before, but that gives me a lot to, to, to digest. Um, and, and I think, I think it also makes me think that this film, and I'd like to believe this of really anything we can enter anything as a sacred text that should be exegeted um i think you know clearly we have these texts that have been around for millennia that uh you know when you approach them with exegesis meaning that you want to to read in into the text and 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 find you know all of the the meanings that you that you can take for your own um ethical guidance, your, your your spiritual nourishment. I think we can approach anything um, as a, sac a potential sacred text. And, and I think that's what we're doing right now with martyrs, that you've given me this new lens into, uh, into something that will now nourish my own, my own soul and approach to this film um, that I know will be haunting me forever. But it gives me another, um, an, another glimpse into into a potential, um, and I love the idea of of Anna actually taking back the power. And it's so funny. Um, have you seen Saint Maud? I have not seen it yet. No. Oh my gosh! Then I can't ruin. I can't ruin. Yeah, it don't ruin it for, for me. Don't ruin it for but, me. Yeah. 
I know but, I have to see it. I'm very behind. Yes, I have to. I mean, I, I will say what, what I think would be an amazing triple feature um, is Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. uh, St. Maud and Martyrs all in one afternoon. Wow. Because what, what they do is really the, like they're, it's this, it's a, an unholy trinity of, of sort of these different views of not only one person's approach to martyrdom, but but the ways that the outside world are are and are not affirming them as martyrs and and as um, visionaries, uh, and and I think that the, all three of those movies really really work well together, um, and and I think you know especially as, as we have these. Uh, horror films that have been coming out especially recently so amazingly directed by women mm-hmm. um i think saint maud is directed by a woman and it adds another another layer there that for me resonates with even though you know from a certain direction you could you could argue that martyrs plays into this kind of trope of violence against women um and i certainly think that there need to be lots of trigger warnings for lots of people, you know, who are going to um, be particularly sensitive to that. But I think that there's also a, a specific power to the fact that there seems to be a, a, a multiple layers of meaning underneath the acts of violence against women in this film that I think do beg for fans of horror to really ask themselves like, what kind of experience are you asking yourself to have right now? Are you looking for a catharsis? Why do you need this catharsis? Are you looking to have something come at you and you not have to do work to mine for meaning from this? Are you looking to have a cheap experience um, that's just titillating you um, and is being, as you uh, cited before, you know, torture porn? Or are you actually asking for a transcendent experience that's going to challenge you in ways that you will have to leave this completely changed and live your life completely differently? I would like to believe that that's the potential power of a spiritual community, um, you know, and that's what I want to experience. Uh, that's what I want to create and experience as a spiritual leader. But it's also what I want as a fan of horror. I, I want it to demand something of me and not just offer cheap thrills. And I think Martyrs does that <laughs> relentlessly and, and and brutally and beautifully. I 100% agree. And, and yeah, you know, I think that I, I, I think art is art is art. And I think that, you know, for folks that want the, um, you know, want a fun splatter fest and, and, and want to, you know, have a fun midnight movie experience. I think that there is, there's plenty of stuff for that. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the circles back around to, to the beginning and talking about torture porn and that idea of like sort of pornography and, and, you know, obviously we associate pornography, not necessarily with, well, with catharsis, but a different type of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I feel like with this film, I, I hope that people listening to this, maybe, you know, if they haven't watched it in a while, maybe they listen to this because they thought I'm never going to see it. You know, I don't want to watch that kind of movie. Um, it's, it's not, it's not what you think it is. And, and it's not, it's certainly not a movie that's, that's a, a, a cheap attempt at exploitation. I think that the women in this movie are incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they are, uh, uh, you know, wildly powerful in what they do that even though they suffer and die, um, that, that, you know, even at the end, the, the, uh, the, the, the organization, the group as they're sitting there, you know, ATN is suddenly, you know, singing the praises of Anna and it's like, you know, let us, you know, give thanks to this wonderful woman, you know, and all this stuff, which is so backwards and crazy and horrible. Um, but, but it's true, you know, she's, she's gone through all of this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, something just popped into my head too, 
that. And I know we're, we're coming up on time here, but, but I have to mention this because this just popped into my head. It's interesting to me that the traditional view of Christ is that he died for our sins. He suffered and died so that we wouldn't have to. And this organization of people wants Anna to suffer and die so that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really speaks a lot to your, to your perspective that you gave on, it's not just about, oh, well, now I'm home free. I can do whatever I want. No, there's still mm-hmm. the work to be done. It's mm-hmm. not just about, I need to praise this, praise this person. It's like, no, now I, I have to act like this person. Oh, I, I, I love, I love what you just said. Um, and, and really agree. And, and I also think that, you know, to, I think that what you just said is absolutely what, what they believe. And, and also I'll add one more layer there that they're still going to die. They're, they're, they're still going to die. Whatever is on the other side there, they're going to eventually see. So for me, it is that also that question of like, why do you need it? Why do you need to know? Um, again, why, why does this mystery um, either, why, why is this mystery of such interest to you instead of being interested in, in simply living a good life? Um, or why do you think that you are so above um, you know, having, having to wait to know? Um, but but I, I hear you. I think that a, a, a flaw, a, 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 a fatal flaw in their uh, their entire you know cosmology and theology is that it's still going to happen. It's not like like what are you going to do with the information actually? Right. Yeah. Because, How is that going to change the way you're living your life? Right. Um, you know, my when I was a kid, my mom. Uh, said to me, I, I was wanting to cheat on a book report. And so I was like, well, mm. I'll just read the end of the book first. And she said, Graham, nobody likes the person that reads the end of the book first. <laughs> and <laughs> that's really what martyrs is all about. Don't read the end of the book I first. Love it. I love go it. through the process, go through the journey. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, let, let the mystery be. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Micah, this has been a fascinating discussion thank you so much uh do you do you do you have any sort of final thoughts about martyrs before we before we break here i think that you really just named it i mean i would like to say that a a main thesis is is let the mystery be um and and i also you i will take with me and i hope that listeners will take with them uh the brilliant uh thing that you just said in terms of you know they the organization at the root of this really is trying to, um, they're trying to put somebody through suffering and death so that they don't have to. And you can't live that way. Um, It's all waiting for us. So why not let the mystery be? And in your journey on earth here, try to be the best person you can be and be willing to change and transform as new information comes your way. I can't think of a better way to end this on. And for all those who thought we couldn't find a hopeful way to end a talk about martyrs, you were wrong. Um, uh, thanks for, thanks for yes. leading me toward the, the light at the end of that tunnel. <laughs> um, Micah, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Anything that you'd like people to uh, to seek out? Oh, thank you. I mean, I got two things. I mean, I just published a book through Fordham University Press called The Book of Tiny Prayer, um, which are uh, mainly secular prayers that are daily offerings that I made for the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, They're kind of a chronicle of the messiness and grief and fear uh, and and hope for justice that we've all been going through uh, through that first year and now beyond. Um, but it's available from Fordham University Press, the book of Tiny Prayer. Um, and also, as, as you said, Graham, I'm a film reviewer for spirituality and practice. And uh, I sometimes review horror films there, um, especially trying to mine the the spiritual meaning in them. Uh, so I welcome folks to to read those reviews. And, and I, I just love talking about film and especially talking about horror. So I'm so grateful to have been here. 
Well, we'll have to have you back and we'll talk about all sorts of more horror stuff. I can't wait. I can't wait. Watch St. Maud and then we'll meet back I, here. Perfect. Great. I love it. Um, well, Micah, thank you. And everybody, uh, thanks again for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Graham Skipper. Oh, Mar- Micah, do you have do you have a Twitter? Do you, where can people find you online? I do. It's it's uh Twitter is at Rev Micah B. Um and uh and on Instagram, I'm pretty sure it's that as well. Uh, <laughs> okay, <but> yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody seek out Micah online, seek out me online. Um, As always, our theme music is composed by Michael Tioli. Uh, And yeah, thanks again for listening. And until next time, everybody, uh, keep it scary out there. See you soon. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) 